<laughs> all right. It's lovely to get to talk to you. Thank you for doing all that you do to sort of support the old eyes zombie ship. It's very exciting. Thank you very much. And uh, since I'm recording, I might as well just bring us right into this. Uh, we're, t- we're right now we're talking to Graham Norris. He helped write on episodes The Exterminator, Mr. Berserk, Fifty Shades of Grey Matter, and on his own, he wrote Max Wager and this week's episode, Eat, Pray, Live. So welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. <laughs> right. Uh, unfortunately, Steph's not here. She's never here for my interviews. It stinks. But uh, <laughs> she's listening. Oh, it's my co-host. Oh, I, I, no, I've listened to a couple. I'm, I'm familiar with her with her fabulous accent. Uh, <laughs> as everybody is. Uh, well, uh, oh, gosh, like I'm always uh, excited and embarrassed when I hear that uh, people from the show have listened to this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love it. All right. Cool. All right, so I wanted to get right into it. Um, you actually watched uh, your episode live through your mother-in-law's <laughs> FaceTime. I sure did. Was that because of the <laughs> was, was that because of the game, or was was it? Yeah, was it for someone. Well, you know, okay. uh, we're out here. You know, the writers' room is in Los Angeles. I live in Santa Monica, and uh, uh-huh. we were preempted by the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are. Uh, a significant institution who apparently are more important than we are in the city of LA. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm not a huge baseball guy, but uh, uh, I heard that it's not, wasn't even a, like a significant game at all. Uh, <laughs> so, like, it was just some beginning of the season game, but you know, uh, I, it aired on Saturday instead. So uh, uh, out here in Los Angeles, so people out here did eventually get to see it. But uh, yeah, my, uh, my husband's parents live in Florida and uh-huh. I uh, called them up and I was like, how do you feel about aiming your iPad on FaceTime at your TV screen uh, so I can <laughs> follow through on the live tweeting that the CW had gone to such lovely lengths as to put a little ad out saying that I was going to do it. So I was like, I can't really just like not do it now. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so Mr. and Mrs. Arkiri came through huge. Thanks, mom-in-law <laughs> and dad-in-law. Yeah, I think one of my favorite tweets from the West Coast feed was uh, Malcolm Goodwin going, I don't remember baseball, Brain. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet, anyway. Right. So put that aside for maybe next season. We'll see. All right. Let's get into the. The biggest thing from this. I mean, Robbie has been avoiding Peyton since the night oh. of the abduction because he was uh, afraid of saying or doing something stupid. Do you think he should have waited longer? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, those uh, – I mean, I think I share the viewers' feelings that it's – I mean, some of that stuff's really painful. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. seeing it go so horribly awry when just, you know, Ravi is so uh, – you know, is so wonderful. I mean, that's sort of been like you yeah. pick one adjective for him through the series so far. I think that would be a top choice. Uh, but I think one of the really fun challenges, certainly for me as a writer, is how you depict somebody who is just, you know, a good person, maybe not making the best decisions. And like jealousy is, you know, such an ugly emotion. And but also mm-hmm. one that I think we are all very familiar with in some aspect of our lives. And uh, I really tip my hat to Raul for being so game about depicting stuff that does not show his character in the most flattering light all the time. And it's, I think it, uh, you know, I think it helps 
expand who the character can be and it makes the show, you know, sort of more, it gives us a, a richness that maybe you wouldn't get if every week it was just Robbie being awesome. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to, uh, hopefully as the season goes on, we'll see him, uh, make some better decisions. <laughs> so, uh, well, first off, like Peyton is a bit apprehensive when he first visits mm-hmm. and Raul actually noted on Twitter that he only avoided one phone call. And, but to me, it seemed like enough time had passed to make to actually justify making her angry with him. What do you What do you think about that? I think her line in the uh, in when she comes to his house at the end about how she's been through a trauma, you know, like that mm-hmm. that whole sequence at Mister Boss's office from the end of last season. I mean, it, that's a ghastly experience, you know, for anybody. And you know, it's not just about missing one phone call. I think it's about which phone call is the one that you missed. You know, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and it is just that uh, he he needs to get over this sense of the you know the jealousy to be able to be there to be a good. I mean, even just if there was no romantic interest at all, just the sort of you know that he I think he felt somewhat emasculated by the way things went down. You know, with Blaine getting to play the hero and him stuck in the car, uh, yeah. not even realizing what's happening. Yeah, I I I think that generally Peyton is in the right here. Although to be fair, it is it, I don't think the fact that Robbie hooked up with his uh, former boss is in and of itself a terrible thing when he's not together with Peyton. It's more I think the kissing her uh, when yeah. in the other room. Uh, alcohol, ladies and gentlemen, often leads <laughs> to <laughs> decisions. Well, we sort of got into that a little bit last season when um, he like drunkenly sleeps with Steph when he knew full well that he was going to break up with her. Yeah, poor Robbie. So. It's tough. That's uh, well. Next season, it'll all be about alcoholism, probably. Seems this is <laughs> nope. This big alcoholic uh, <laughs> bend. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be like a Major's uh, Utopium addiction. That's right. That's uh, well. We've seen uh, that Peyton actually is the one character who can really handle just enormous amounts of alcohol and be totally fine. We've seen her any of just drinking away. It comes with being an, uh, a tough ADA, I think, is you got to be able to handle your booze. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, can we both agree that Robbie probably shouldn't have uh, ever brought up the whole Peyton uh, Blaine sex oh, daydreams? Yeah, gosh. It is uh, – well, it was really – yeah, I, I think certainly from a, the practical standpoint of like uh, what would have been the best way for him to handle the situation, certainly I agree. Uh, but it was very interesting mm-hmm. in the writer's room talking a bunch about uh, – not to harp on this, but this notion of, of <laughs> jealousy and how it uh, – you know, and that – you know, I think that movie in your head thing, that was something that a lot of people spoke to is sort of at their sort of darker moments about this stuff, things where they knew they were in the wrong, you know, but mm-hmm. still just could not stop, you know, poking the cut, you know, just couldn't keep that away from it. And then I think that you can eventually kind of talk yourself into a place where you're like, you know, I should just express how I'm feeling. That's the right thing to do, you know, and it's uh, and certainly <laughs> if I just tell her about it, I'll, I'll feel better. About yeah. It. And I think that that's a little bit of, you know, her, you know, her button line on that first scene between them of like, you know, did you kind of want me to apologize to you? And it's like, oh, God, yeah, maybe kind of even if you didn't even really realize that's what he wanted. You know, it's uh, it's I don't know I, I like the soupy moral quandary stuff mm-hmm. and i liked in our it, one of my favorite parts of getting to work on this episode is that big sort of uh brouhaha scene where they're all in the morgue and that culminates in blaine taking the uh the serum like that ravi's kind of got a point you know that yeah. like does i mean if charles manson lost his memory tomorrow we wouldn't just like let him go you know and right. blaine's done 
horrible things, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, just just really baroquely terrible, terrible things. <laughs> yeah, and that I think that one of the things that was most interesting to me and that I hope came through was that it's one of those scenes where kind of everybody's got a bit of a point. You totally understand why Blaine wouldn't want to, you know, remember any of these things, especially after his interactions with his father in that episode. Like, uh, mm-hmm. but that Ravi being like, dude, major, he might die. It is your fault. I don't care if you forgot, you know? <laughs> That's, yeah. So um, fun, fun, sticky moral stuff is for, uh, for uh-huh. as a writer, just my favorite kind of area to be playing around in. Oh, it's such a, yeah, such a well-crafted scene, how it all comes to a head there too. It's so, uh, so powerful, oh, you know, cause yeah. you can definitely see it from everybody's point of view. That's really nice. Of of what you. they're thinking. Um, it was, uh, and shooting scenes like that, you know, when there's lots of characters in one scene, especially when they're all series regulars who are all very good and who all sort of have stories of their own, uh, shooting those scenes takes forever because every, mm-hmm. you got to get everyone's reaction and all the different angles and people are moving during the scenes. It's longer than normal network television scenes are. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it was a, uh, a bit of a Herculean task, I think, again, especially for Raul, who sort of had the lion's share of that sort of, you know, I'm going to now thunder judgment upon you, Blaine, happening in the middle of that. And then I have to declare my love and all of these things. That's uh, getting all that done within the very confined production calendar that TV is on and managing to find some <laughs> emotional uh, truth in the middle of it. You know, the fact that you get anything more than, all right, we got through our lines, thank God, is like always beautiful. <laughs> Were you there for most of the filming or Uh, or any of the filming? I got to be there for – so we generally get to go up – You know, we shoot in Vancouver and like I said, the Mm writer's room is in Los Angeles. So it's a bit of production to get up to production. So uh, we usually get to go for the final two days of prep, the pre-production process and the first two days of shooting. And as it happens, the first two days of shooting are often the – um, on set scenes. So like that would be our morgue, our police station, the lives house, major's house, those kinds of places, as opposed to on location stuff. So I was there for that thing, which was uh, both a wonderful <laughs> gift and also just like, you know, absolute agony tried to sort of be there during the logistical nightmare of trying to make everything <laughs> happen in a short period of time. And I was like, I'd like to maybe, maybe next time just be there for uh, some nice questioning somebody's scene. Those are just two yeah. angles. I'll do the interrogation <laughs> room stuff. <laughs> we're, we're out. <laughs> Especially yeah. Vancouver is so great. It's fun to be like done with the day and have some energy to go hang out because it's like, oh, I'm on a trip. Why not? Warner Brothers paid to yeah. be in Vancouver. Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I'm uh, switching over to Blaine. Um, I'm, I'm 100% in the camp of him not faking his amnesia at this point. I was a little wary. Um, but uh, I still have like a problem with all the evil that he's done. I mean, how do you feel about Blaine – being redeemed by erasing his memory. Do you, do you think he's redeemed? Um, I, so, uh, so obviously I want to just answer for where we're in the context of this episode and not in any way about the show or anything, but that like, yes. uh, um, I think the way that you just articulated your feelings is I, I feel very similarly. I think that's sort of a, I don't know if there's a thing that the viewers, uh, quote unquote supposed to feel, but that, uh, right. um, I, for one, find it like i think that redeemed is i mean i I guess my answer is pretty much no uh i mean like that uh you know if i were the parent of one of those teenagers i would not find his amnesia to be very comforting at all uh you know that's uh um that said uh there is this fascinating thing of like you know with uh how he has helped peyton and how he has this season sort of has like you know like acted like a decent guy and like a 
a charismatic guy. And although he's never been lacking for charisma, but like, you know, that uh, it is it is that interesting thing of like, okay, well, we're not in a court of law. We're in our actual lives. And because of the various facts, it's not like you can go to the police, you know, with with like, oh, there's zombies are real and all that kind of, you know, you are you're in this very particular box. And just that in the moment question of, okay, well, you know, not an accident that we've got the sort of Zen brain happening in this episode of, you know, what about what about just here in the present moment? And, you know, what if he is trying to be a good person right now? What else can you ask of him? You know, like uh, and it turns out what you can ask of him is that he take this serum and uh, and of course, Blaine ultimately takes it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I think that really that sort of feels to me like him putting skin in the game. Uh, you know, cause I mean, who knows? That's some crazy serum. Like Ravi said, he doesn't think it's going to just up and kill him, but you know, who, who knows what that Maybe? Thing <laughs> that's uh, the great unknown of it is, I think, you know, that that is what, uh, you know, that's, I, I thought there was something kind of fun about, you know, his past, a great unknown. And now he just sort of jumped in a place where his future just suddenly became a bit of a great unknown too. And that's, uh, it's, yeah. So I think it's, he's supposed to be in a morally complicated position where you've got our most likable and least likable, not like, I mean, obviously Blaine's very likable and so but sort of most morally. He's hates. murdered the most runaways. <laughs> if one is a man by how many runaways he's murdered. But, uh, yeah. That, uh, to sort of put them in these positions where I think it's very easy to get sort of caught up in the, uh, yeah, Blaine's being nice right now and Ravi's being a jerk. But that you yeah. sort of take a macro view that really it's not quite so simple at all. And, uh, you know, sort of divorcing yourself from the immediate thing of it and trying to look at the big picture. I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't think there's an easy answer. It's uh, enjoyably complex, at least to me, hopefully to the viewers. Oh, absolutely. It's great to think about. And, and I'm sure like a part of this kind of comes from the fact that nobody wants David Anders to leave the show. <laughs> nobody yeah. wanted him dead at the end of season one. <laughs> Even all the terrible things that his character did, nobody wants David Anders to go. Not, and uh, he's like, so good, he's just so you just can't keep your eyes off him. And my God, he could just yeah. eat the scenery like nobody's business. Just there were some <laughs> scenes with uh, when we had uh, Stephen Weber on the show too. It's just two just absolute. Yes. Just goddamn pros. Forgive me if I'm not supposed to say that word on the show. <laughs> no, it's funny. Okay, <laughs> We're explicit. Right. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, speaking of Stephen Weber, he showed up. I'm, I'm watching uh, 13 Reasons Why on Netflix, and he popped up in like episode four, and I'm like, oh, he's the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I immediately did not trust him at all. Oh, no, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I've heard that it's a really interesting show, but even just when you say that, just so I know the premise, I'm like, well, obviously he did something horrible to that girl. Anything <laughs> 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 <Yes>. nice, right? <laughs> So, so yeah, the writer's room probably wasn't looking forward to writing Blaine out of the story. I'm like, what, can you tell me anything about what you guys, the discussions maybe you had on what led to this amnesia storyline and not, not exactly confirming whether or not it's real amnesia or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, um, I think Rob, uh, Rob Thomas and Diane Ruggiero, you know, fearless showrunner leaders, uh, employers of Mm -hmm. mine who have i think they've talked about sort of like well gosh we sure do like this david anders guy who'd be real like as you pointed out it's like who (laughs) wants to throw that away he's so good and um i think we were excited to get to uh see him just do something very different um you know what does it look like when he when you know when because he obviously is a uh, a character and an actor of prodigious powers that are often bent towards evil uh, mm-hmm. And just to sort of see that if you kind of s- turn that steering wheel 180, what what happens? Just what does that even feel like to watch? And uh, what does that do to the sort of ecosystem 
of the show where him being bad has basically been one of the North stars. You know, that's sort of one of the things that we orient everything by. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I think that, you know, it, it seemed like something that both provided fun story and allowed us to take, uh, actor and character that we adore and to give some, you know, fresh, interesting things to do. Um, I like one of my favorite things about that is, is, uh, the counterpoint to all of our, you know, good guys who are, you know, oh gosh, is he faking it? I think he's, I, I believe him, all this stuff that you've got Angus and Don E over in their storyline <laughs> who just like dismiss out of hand even the possibility that like he could even, there's, there's any chance that he's like really a, you know, become a good person. That's true. Yeah. I, I don't know if Angus, is, uh, Angus, I don't know if he's sold on it or not because like Blaine just literally s- yeah. signed over $32 million to him without yeah. hesitation. I would like to say, forgive the slight detour, that uh, watching Robert Nepper uh, in person oh, yeah. is just such a pleasure. Uh, it just, uh, he's, he's so, I, I, one of my favorite adjectives for uh, really good performances is some of them feel delicious. If you know what I yes. mean, like, and oh my yeah. God, he's delicious. He just, uh, mm. and just how he tosses some of those things out and just like that, uh, the act outline, we revealed him where he just like asked for a glass of water. And yeah. that is, you know, act outlines are often supposed to have a sort of dun dun kind of quality to them. Yeah. That is not the world's strongest act outline, I say, is the person who wrote it. And he turned it into this like sort of weird, delicious, crazy thing just because he's so <laughs> like he just has such an interesting, weird spin on the ball. Yeah, really fun to get to watch him do that. And I love any chance we get to have him and Anders in a room together because, my goodness, they're just uh, – two guys who are really well armed to go that's like after each other in a scene it's a lot of fun as a as a fan of like uh prison break yes. and heroes i i <laughs> was so so happy to hear that he was going to be on the show yeah my god so it was great um so it's interesting how this the case even parallels with blaine and deals with identity i mean does does redemption come from completely changing your character like topher or being punished for it like mitch was it seems like we're kind of falling on the side of reinventing yourself almost to mm. get us back to where Blaine is. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> the a story it's, it's nice when we're able to build it in a way where it's got some, uh, some reflection on the ongoing storylines, uh, yeah. you know, in our case in the, uh, we call it the a story, uh, even if it doesn't have real yeah. estate in the episode that, uh, um, and yeah, I think that it is. Yeah. I mean, like that's certainly you, you are picking up on something that was deliberately sort of constructed that way about okay, yeah. reinvention, do you buy it? Does it does it matter if you buy it? If the person is authentic in what they are doing, you know, like uh, it's yeah. Because of course, uh, our poor deceased Topher, it's not like he forgot that he used to be a venture capitalist or is anything where he's like in exactly the same situation as Blaine. He's someone who has full cognizance of the you know of the less than great things that he used to do and the values that he used to live by, and just decided one day to stop, you know, and to do something else because it was making him unhappy. And I think that's sort of uh, is it making you happy? feels like sort of a key way of looking at happy, not just sort of in the short term, you know, material gratification, but like long term, are you going to be able to just go through the day without, you know, the walls closing in on you? And I think that that's a, an interesting prism to sort of view the decisions that everybody's making. Yeah. And, and it was great that it was, uh, you know, you could have gone the route of like, well, it turns out that Topher was scamming everybody and, uh, but it turns out they were honest believers. I mean, he had some wacky characters yeah. like, uh, <laughs> uh, Lady Bird. Yes. Lady <laughs> was, was, she was, I thought she did a great job. That actress. I was very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. 
but you guys are you're, you're very uh, uh, respectful of Buddhism and and the mindfulness, which I had to look up. I wasn't familiar with it at all. So, but my mother is my mother is into Reiki, so oh. uh, I, I should know something about it. But my brother's girlfriend um, is a Reiki uh, coach out here in Los Angeles, and I have yeah. learned a. a um, it's something that I, I must admit that I, when I first heard, I was like, really, for real? And she's got all these stories, all these people who are very grateful to her for how she's sort of improved their lives and all this stuff. And I, uh, yeah, I think, uh, whatever it is that helps you feel like you are, uh, you know, just able to be a functional, happy, good person. That's, uh, then I'm all in favor. And, uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear that the mindfulness and Buddhist, uh, material in this episode did not come off as, uh, mockery or derisive because I think I mentioned when I was live tweeting I actually I kind of I got into part of the, where mindfulness brain came from was that over the last hiatus I got into it uh, I you know have like an app and I do a little 15 minute meditation things and mm-hmm. I am an overachiever type a kind of person in most aspects of my life and just having the little window of 10 minutes just kind of sit there and just kind of exist without worrying about anything uh, is I've found it to be pretty wonderful so it was nice to kind of let live be on a brain that actually was kind of pleasant uh, you know instead of the yeah, yeah. never-ending obstacle course of misery that so many of these things put right <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting how it you know it didn't even give her any sort of visions at all yeah. she just knew that he was a good guy and nothing really triggered anything yeah that's uh so. we did uh um originally there were there was a vision in this episode, and I can't recall off the top of my head what it was because you know we uh, wrote these a little while ago. But uh, it was brought up by Mersey, the director, in one of the meetings right before we started shooting. She was like, "What exactly does Liv do with this case? <laughs> to help us do anything?" And uh, and that was where there was some, one of the last rewriting that I did was in that stakeout scene where Clyde yes. now mentions that like, how is this helping? <laughs> and uh, and I don't know. I think there's it, this is uh, I'm this is certainly just like my own spin on it. I think there is something kind of interesting about how it is the brains that are the least pleasant for live that give them the most helpful police activity. Uh, you know, and that things that are like, I'm just living my life and feeling pretty good that like you're how helpful you are to sort of like dealing with other people's horrible situations. I, I wonder if it's part of the reason that, you know, many cop shows that the cops tend to be pretty messed up people, you know, that's, uh, she's just not a yeah. cop when she's all zen out and happy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I forgot to mention, were you worried about, um, you know, speaking of the mindfulness and the Buddhism and all that, being respectful, I mean, were we worried about showing the image of a blood-splattered Buddha and have it be used as a murder weapon? Uh, it certainly came up, and obviously, if anybody uh, felt, uh, you know, if anybody listening to this, you know, felt offended by it, so I hope that they uh, um, understand the spirit in which it was intended. Whereas, obviously, it was a a horrible murderer used yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, sort of, I, this was somebody who was essentially. Uh, you know, on like on like a symbolic level is somebody who is so unconvinced by someone's ability to change that they literally beat them to death with a symbol of something that's about living in the present moment. And uh, right. and that's so the Buddha felt uh, kind of ideal for what story we're trying to tell there. Um, and obviously, anytime you walk into a uh, politically charged spaces that is a scary thing you know you don't want to wind up in the middle of a firestorm uh similarly with some of how uh robbie uh, behaves towards peyton some of the gender politics and things there these are things that can be very uh uh, i guess triggering would be the word and it's uh it's always a little bit like all right take a deep breath let's try to really do this as 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 uh, thoughtfully 
and as thoughtfully as we can, um, just because as you mm-hmm. bring up, it can uh, it can rub people the wrong way. And you don't want yeah. you know, people go to watch television like they're not looking for you to lecture them or to make them feel terrible about their lives. You want to you know to try to provide something that's hopefully thought provoking, but first and foremost, entertaining. Uh, and so it is. a. Uh, so the the short answer, yeah, it was something that I certainly was a little nervous about. Like I was like, well, I wonder if I'll be Graham Norris, hater of Buddhists, on the other side of this in my reputation. <laughs> but uh, oh, I haven't heard anything. So yeah, I don't know if you have. Let's try not to get that started. So right. yeah, 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 yeah. Level of mankind, um, womankind. That's me. All across. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, well, back to Blaine. I, I had a couple more Thanks. questions to ask about him. Um, so like his amnesia is just kind of hard to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so I thought at first it just took away all the memories that he had when he was a zombie because he called mm-hmm. Donnie Scott E when he woke up, but then he can't even remember what his father looks like. And I'm assuming he knew his father his entire life. Yeah. So I can clear this up for you. I can totally answer this. I'm so pleased. Uh, It's so rare. Really? Um, I was going to say, what does he remember? I mean, but I'm not sure if you can answer that. uh, So, yeah. uh, So the answer is that uh, the process of losing your memory after you take the serum, um, Mm -hmm. at least as depicted in the show so far, uh, again, no spoilers, et cetera, et cetera, um, is that Mm -hmm. it's not a on off switch. It just it like it's uh, they evaporated, uh, I guess would maybe be that. So the Scott E thing was like sort of Blaine as he's waking up, as his memories are starting to get fuzzy and go um, where he wound up eventually. And I think uh, I think in a Ravi Clive scene in the first episode of this season is the closest we come to spelling this out. Um, It's essentially I think the term is retrograde amnesia. Which is right. your uh, – it's basically the part of your brain that is about memories is the part that has been uh, compromised. Uh, so you still know how to tie your shoe. That's not a memory. That's something like, – it's like learned muscle stuff. Uh, there's a weird documentary that has since vanished. But I saw it in the theaters years ago, which makes me wonder if maybe part of it was uh, BS. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was called Unknown White Male. Uh, which mm-hmm. was about the purportedly true story of a uh, guy who sort of came to on a Paris metro with just no memory at all of who he was or how he got there or anything. And the documentary was about him sort of discovering his life and that he was kind of a jerk. Uh, he was like a stock exchange guy and, you know, sort of a fine. How white was he? Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was, yeah. It was, it was basically about watching this person sort of like, you know, in order to help himself deal with his, I'm going to go meet my parents who I know must have a huge emotional connection to me, but to me, they are strangers. And, uh, like that was sort of the, that was one of the things that we talked about when we were sort of building what this thing would be and finding some sort of medical grounding for it. So it wasn't just complete. We just pulled this out of our butts. But so, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why he doesn't remember his father is that he literally would not have any, personal memory uh so he still knows how to speak english and how to you know the things that are sort of more in that other parts of your brain but literally your subjective personal memories are the things that have been uh uh wiped clean interesting that help? so Is that clear anything yeah you? i hope so that does help that does help so but like my next question was like does blaine remember kurt cobain i'm assuming yeah. that he would remember kurt cobain that's, I, because uh, yeah, I think I think that's in a personal. I wonder, you know, it's uh, forgive me for not uh, being able to, you know, that's uh, one of the nice things in a, about having a writer's room is you all get to sit there and you've got a bunch of people who at least purport to be intelligent sitting there scratching their chins, <laughs> being like, okay, who should, who could be called to answer this for us? Yeah. And there are some lovely uh, doctors and scientists, and first and foremost, a morgue technician that we have been able to call any number of times who have yeah. been very handy. 
especially when you're trying to find the 300th different variation of, okay, what can Liv and Ravi be doing when they're having this conversation in a morgue? You know, that's just what's something right. that you actually do when you're there. Yeah. So uh, I think he'd remember Kurt Cobain is my guess. Because, yeah, because he's like, this week he went to the Carpenters and Linda Ronstadt to sing. Uh, <laughs> he certainly got the, piano the American songbook still in there, clearly. That's <laughs> so <laughs> Um, pretty funny choices for him to be into, right? I love that yeah. there are like two like female vocal pop songs from the seventies. Yeah. Um, through what, no, what went into that? Uh, well, I, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that Rob Thomas likes those songs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I yeah, it's a, it is a funny thing about uh, I, things that sort of uh, we kind of got into this idea of him as lounge singer. It's just such a, I mean, it's so funny on the face of it. And, you know, we let, let Major have that line of, like, you're, you're a lounge singer now. <laughs> that, uh, but that there is something, uh, it's so anti old Blaine. You know, it's mm-hmm. so square. You know, I mean, he, because he's David Anders and he's Blaine, makes it manage to somehow be like sexy and cool. And it's like, screw that. Yeah. How dare he be able to pull that off? You know, but like, uh, it is like, there's something pretty emotionally open about those songs. Uh, they are I'm feeling feelings songs. And yeah. I think that as opposed to like, I'm a tough edged cool guy or whatever, <laughs> if it maybe would seem a bit more uh, apt for him that it kind of sort of helps tell the story of Blaine being in this, you know, different phase of his life. It's true. I know the first song was called This Masquerade. So yeah. I was like, oh, he's trying to say something. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, um, and I think that we are uh, uh, definitely enjoying being a little coy with that choice of song. You know, it's fun to just, because uh, I mean, wondering whether he's faking it or not is like obviously part of the fun, you know, and having mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. about it. And, uh, and it's fun to watch scenes like uh, the scene with the dad. Uh, with that sort of double consciousness about like, okay, this scene is a really different scene if he's faking it, you know, like right. what's going on in his head if he were doing that versus the, it, and then the poignance, and then you can of course get the emotional side of it. Having your father sit there and tell you about the time that he realized that you were garbage. Uh, How did he not like flip out if he doesn't remember any, if, if he remembers himself? Yeah, right? I, that's, uh, yeah. but of course I suppose you'd also suspect something like that was coming if you remembered, you know, but like, uh, yeah, but if yeah. you don't remember, it's just like, it's surreal and detached. I, it's, I think, and uh, kudos to Anders for, I think, you know, for uh, playing it in a way where that uh, performance that could support however uh, someone watching the show wanted to take it uh, at this point mm-hmm. in the season when obviously we haven't like actually played the cards yet. Uh, where you can definitively, you know, 100% be totally sure. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, so that's, it's it's a lot of fun thinking about the different ways that uh, you can look at these scenes. Did you guys have in mind, like, what exactly was the answer to this in season two when you were, this first came up? Like, you knew where this was going? Or did you just kind of put it as a question mark to be solved in season three? Um. Let's see. I, I want to say that this was a big topic of conversation at the end of season two. Uh, to be honest, mm-hmm. I'm kind of a little blurry on it. It all it just blends. Into, it's been a while. Uh, end, <laughs> end of season two, writers' room was a good long time ago, and yeah. season three. Yeah, I want to say that would be like uh, December of 2015 was when we, or January 2016 was when we finished writing season two. We started doing season three in May or June, and that that was. Uh, and all of that is just one big uh, sort of pre-Donald Trump mushy time <laughs> when I was young and innocent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Like, you know, I, uh, you guys are writing this season as 
everything's happening in government. You know, we don't need to get into politics right right now, but, but like that had to have an effect on the whole zombie homeland. Oh, it's trippy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is. uh, And certainly, uh, you know, Vivian's story from earlier in the season about how people uh, were, were uh, murderously hostile to people who scared them, you know, Mm -hmm. like uh, whether or not they deserved it, you know, and that, that, obviously sort of resonates with certain issues that are in the zeitgeist and stuff like that. You know, that, uh, I think that mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely not saying that we were sitting there being like, all right, how can we depict present events in what we're writing here? That's, that's definitely not the way that, you know, that's not what's right, driving right. the car, but that it's certainly in everyone's heads just as a, yeah. as a person who's got their eyes open, you know, during, you know, just having to be being alive in America. Uh, so I think it's, uh, I would, I would position it more as, the inevitable result of just the fact that we're all living in this, uh, you know, in this particular environment that would sort of make it that that's the sort of thing that's in your head as opposed to being a deliberate uh, evocation of that, of those issues. Right. Um, Okay. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about major. Please. Um, Such a tough choice he's got. If this serum doesn't work. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, if you lose your memory, do you in in effect die? Right. And, um, so I don't know, I guess I'll, I'll phrase it this way. If, if presented with the choice of taking the serum and losing your memory and living or just simply expiring, what, what would you choose? Me personally? Yeah. Man. Oh God. It's certainly, I've, <laughs> I've uh, vacillated on it a lot. It's, uh, yeah. um, I thought about it when trying to put myself in the different headspace of the different characters talking about it during this. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I got it. I, I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, who knows how you'd actually feel if you were suddenly really in that situation. You know, that's I imagine mm-hmm. the, the imminence and reality of it would change how you feel pretty dramatically. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I think from where I'm sitting, it would be very hard for me to uh, let myself die because of what that would do to the people who love me. Uh, Same here. You know, like yeah. uh, like like my mom, my husband, my dog, you know, they'd all be yeah. sad if I <laughs> – and I think at least the like, well, at least we can give it a shot if you lose your memory, you know, that's a, who knows how it'll shake out. But at least there's a potential for having some kind of relationship when death is, of course, you know, the big period on the sentence. Right. I guess that's where it would go. But it is not something it would be. I, I, I think it's just heartbreaking. And I thought uh, uh, often uh, uh, Robert Buckley's standout moments are the comedy ones. But my God, he uh, I thought that end of act five, the penultimate act where he comes out and he's seeing live and Justin dance. And yeah. He doesn't get any dialogue to try to communicate. Oh gosh, uh, like look there. Do I, I? Do they look like there's some sort of like spark between them? How do I feel about that? Oh my god, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna lose everything. There's this beautiful joy happening here. I better enjoy it. I'm right. So sad. I'm gonna miss it. There's a million things that you could be sort of mapping onto what he's going through in that moment. And I thought he did a really terrific job of uh, letting his, his sort of being the canvas to tell that story. It was really cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I guess you don't want to have a definitive answer of what exactly is going through his head. Is he is he saying, "Oh, she'll be fine," or is he like, "Oh my God, I'm going to miss this girl"? You oh, know? I think it's both. I think it's absolutely. Yeah. I think it is. Uh, it is a fortunate thing for any show. I think when you realize that you've sort of have got a story cooking in a direction where you can have the character authentically have a bunch of uh, conflicting. And, you know, thoughts all happening simultaneously that the audience is going to be able to pretty much pick up on without them having to talk. It's uh, it is that's you. I, and that is has a lot to do with all of the 
scaffolding erected earlier in the season and prior seasons. So this is not me patting myself on the back. I felt really lucky mm-hmm. that I was the one who got to sort of cash that check, as it were, you know, to <laughs> sort of give that moment where uh, it's like, oh, God, you did all the heavy lifting. I just have to have him come out and look at Liv doing something cute. And we get all of this wonderful. <laughs> anyway. That's, uh, but how about Liv and Justin dancing? They did so well. I was so impressed. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I don't. I guess you. Again, not sure if you can answer right. this. Is do you think Justin's smitten with Liv, or is he just like excited by this like out and proud zombie? Um, <laughs> you know, which I is think, uh, her look and everything. I think it is. Uh, so yeah, again, without giving anything away about where the season is going, I think it is fair to yeah. say that uh, that Justin went in. You know, there's that shot of him when they're shaking hands. Those he, those eyes certainly looked a little goo goo eyes to me and how he was playing it. <laughs> Um, you know, whether that, you know, comes to anything or whether we're going to use that or if that's just the actor's choice yeah. in doing that moment, that's uh, that uh, I will leave. I will leave mysteriously unanswered. But that uh, definitely I think that that was how that moment felt to me in the playing of it. Yeah, I just like assumed that, you know, he got scratched at the party and he's been pretty much working as a, you know, mercenary for Fillmore Graves all this time. So maybe he's not too familiar with how like a zombie who's just not part of the whole regiment yeah. uh, uh, and the rationing and all that uh, lives their life. And maybe that's attractive to him. Yeah. I think, well, that's, I think that's perceptive of you that like, uh, you know, yeah. there, that the Fillmore graves zombie existence is a, that, that it, there's a regimentation to it. There's yeah. clear hierarchy. I mean, it's military in it's nature and yeah. that, uh, versus he's not a military guy either. yeah so. <laughs> that's exactly the first thing we learn about him is that this is sort of like well i kind of wound up having to do this uh and obviously the issues that fillmore graves is uh, concerned about you know uh d-day and all that kind of stuff are very serious and uh with military overtones and mm-hmm. you know where you know you're uh how you, how you feel about those things and how much you care about those things as opposed to just like gosh maybe i'd want to just live my life you know, it seems like interesting uh, territory that just by having Fillmore Graves in the show that we're kind of set up to explore. That's sort of, you know, the whole yeah. are you with us or against us right at the beginning is like, oh, who's who's number one on your priority list? Is it you or is it your kind? Right. Yeah. I'm almost I'm almost wondering like how he ended, I I just assume he got scratched in the the ruckus that happened at that party and not just. I don't know, uh, because you know there's there sick people that went to the party, and then Vivian had to scratch them all because they were dying. But he's just a DJ; he wasn't a part of that uh, uh, group. So I don't know. I, I'm assuming there was some sort of now, boat party esque. Forgive me if <laughs> freak I out forgive there. me if I screwed this up. If I screw this up, because I might. Uh, like I said, it's been a little bit, and uh, there's uh, convoluted mythology at play. So I had to keep ship. I think yeah. that part of it is that the disease that they started falling ill with that uh vivian was uh you know scratching them to save them i think that it's it was like that there was fear of contagion for anyone who's there and there's also i wonder if there's and this is not in that this is actually just me speculating i'm not sure if this is a that if she's going around scratching people and turning them into zombies you can't really very well let like anybody just sort of stroll away from that having seen what happened do you know what I mean? Like right. uh, that's uh, um, and that is uh, not a spoiler or anything. I think that's just sort of me sort of that's my understanding of when he tells yeah. that story. If I was the DJ there that it's like, you know, if you're saving all those people by doing this, you and obviously secrecy is so paramount uh, for zombie kind. I think right. sort of like bad luck, buddy. <laughs> no, that's, uh, yeah. 
So in that respect, like, is Clive in danger of getting scratched just to keep him securely in the fold? Or I, I wonder, right? It seems like uh, certainly yeah. we have played the tension of, like, you told him from the film yeah. space people, but also that, like, he also has demonstrated up to this point that he is uh, – you know, very much. He's like, he's done good things to help zombies that, you know, he helped at, mm-hmm. you know, at the big disaster at Max Rager and all that stuff and has kept the secret thus far. Uh, and my God, wouldn't you trust Clive with your life? He seems like the most trustworthy man yeah. in the world to me. I just, uh, <laughs> just, and maker of such funny faces. How could you do anything for him? <laughs> That's true. Um, there is a big mystery that stemmed from this episode, and I'm not sure if it's a production error or, or uh, what happened, but it's uh, Lily White Gate. Uh, Lily White Gate, <laughs> I'll describe to you. Please. Basically, uh, uh, Major's wearing uh, his mercenary outfit, and it says Lily White with two L's before the Y, and we've always thought it was just one L. So, which is it? Oh, my God. <laughs> my God. Um, that's. Uh... <laughs> Gosh, I wonder. That's because, you know, I have on uh, Final Draft the screenwriting software uh, that the show uses. Uh, mm-hmm. I just gave them an unintentioned plug. How about that? Free advertising <laughs> for the good people there. Uh, <laughs> it just pops in. It autofills when you type the M in the character section. <laughs> so I haven't really yeah. paid attention to the spelling of his last name in forever. Uh, that's, uh. Uh, but uh, I, I, I feel like it's always been with one L. Let's yeah. perhaps, why don't we say that just the Fillmore Graves. Uh, uh, uniform construction crew. Uh, there you go. Or maybe they were just trying to just <laughs> keep him in his place. You don't want pretty boy getting too cocky. Just be like, hey, wait a minute, spell your name, Lily. <laughs> I feel like there was also occasionally Clive's last name sometimes had an E in it and sometimes didn't in the in the first season, uh, which as oh, a right. grammar fiend, uh, I, this stuff drives me completely insane. So I am, uh, <laughs> um, I'm upset that you've pointed this out to me because I will never, never not be able to see it. Right. Well, I like the idea that, no, this is not an iZombie production error. This is a Fillmore Graves production error, if there is one. <laughs> right. Yes, that's right. It's totally Fillmore Graves' fault. Definitely not my fault as the person sending the costume crew emails about what they should be putting on these things. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, oh, God, Robin, it's all my fault. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, speaking of names, like where does the name Caddy Cups come from? Why? What? Oh, what? What the heck with that name? It is, uh, it is funny. I, I feel like it's a Rob <laughs> name, and also one thing that is a and, and forgive me if someone's covered this on the show before, uh, but uh, yeah. there's you know you have to clear names uh, through, through yeah. for legal issues, you know, and it's funny. It can either be a very common name or a name that literally nobody has. Um, and the thing you can't have is a name that like three or four people have, or particularly since our show is set in Seattle, like if we've got a random police officer rumbling through, they can't be officer Marvin. If there's one guy with the last name of Marvin in the Seattle police department, uh, like oh. that kind of thing. And, uh, so it names, I think, and you'll find this in a lot of TV shows, either tend towards the, the vanilla, uh, or the sort of whimsically esoteric, uh, because that's sort of how you wind up, uh, I, I, so I can't remember if Caddy Cups was the original, uh, and obviously that character wasn't introduced in this episode. I think it was in 301, so my guess is Rob yeah. named her. Uh, but that, uh, and also alliterative names uh, are, uh, they do tend to stick in the mind nicely. Uh, but right. it is, uh, I'm with you, it is certainly memorable. Uh, and I wonder if it were my name, if perhaps I would go by Catherine. Uh, <laughs> like that, as opposed to Caddy. So I think she's leaning in. Uh, that's funny. Uh, so, so she discovers a uh, a plane crash which had a girl that was a zombie from the boat party, yes. and and we have Vivian's husband who is infected by what appears to be Blaine, and she in turn 
infected her soldiers. And it, it all seems to be coming back to Blaine. I mean, at, at the beginning of the season, I kind of, I mean, I took what Vivian said and I said, okay, we'll just take that. And I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wrestle with where the zombie virus origin, like where, where it originated from. But then we have this plane crash and I'm like, okay, maybe we should still be thinking about it. Is it something we should still be playing detective on um, as a viewer? I, uh, I think that, I mean, I, it's, I guess what I would say, and obviously this could be sort of fraught territory to comment upon, but that, uh, yeah. um, you know, Caddy's stuff ultimately did in this episode all circle back onto that boat party. You know, that's what right. Ravi wound up lying about. And that is yeah. the sort of, uh, origin story as we have seen it of the zombie virus. Um, that's, uh, I, th- I think that like, I think it is, uh, I think that that is, uh, at least in the show so far, where we are definitely sort of trying to direct your vision for sort of an understanding of where this stuff came from. Uh, let's say, I, I don't think that, uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's what I would say for, for, for that is that I think the boat party is sort of the most uh, pertinent thing to have in your head when you're looking at this stuff, at least for now, you never know. Right. That's uh, right. perhaps I'm just withholding the truth from you. You don't know. <laughs> well, please do. Please do. I just basically wondering, like, should we still be caring about like where it came from? Should we still be investigating this as a viewer? Like, or was that maybe dropped in as like just something else for Ravi to kind of lie to Caddy about and then have maybe that waiting to be well, revealed to her. I think any good detective <laughs> thing is about like people starting to pull on threads and like, uh, yeah. you know, and that boat party is a pretty big thing to keep secret and yeah. little things like, uh, Oh my God, there was this, uh, you know, girl who sounds sort of, you know, like, uh, could have been, you know, that could have been live in a slightly different circumstance. If she happened to have a plane, you know, a plane to catch that night or something you know, right. that's, uh, that, you know, that I think it's more about sort of like what's a thread that Caddy can pull on uh, is, you know, to help get Ravi into a situation where that pressure is starting to be applied. And it's fun to have people from different directions starting to threaten to figure things out. Yeah. And it's it, again, it's just this other mystery. It's like, OK, so the plane had no problems with it, but it fell from the sky. Yeah. She had brains in her stomach, but Caddy wasn't specific on whether or not the other passengers maybe had their heads cracked open or were, were, were people appetizers on that flight we don't know That's, yeah is uh, that what happened was there a freak out and then it and it plummeted or was there some sort of like cover-up job yeah you know what exactly <laughs> is the deal that's uh it is i think that those are good questions to be asking but i guess i, I think that to answer the original question i don't know that they're the the foreground hot fire questions that we are immediately looking at right now i think that's uh, right. the immediate thing is more about uh-oh the cdc is starting to look into this and ravi just looked a cdc doctor in the face and lied and uh that that is, mm-hmm. a, that is a bridge to cross uh you know that's i think more where we're hanging out so I have a theory of, I mean, cause it all comes back to Blaine and then you're like, then you think, how did Blaine get infected? And maybe it's, maybe it was before the boat party or maybe it was just boat party utopium mixed with Max Rager equals zombie. And that's what happened to him. And that's what happened to many of the others on that boat party. But I almost think like if that did cause zombie, um, that, Perhaps live actually infected Blade. Now, hear me out. <laughs> I'm here. I don't know if you've All heard ears. this before. I have not. I'm, I'm very. Uh, I mean, like I haven't from uh, from from you. Please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe this could, somebody else uh, mentioned this to you, but um, oh, no, please. 
Um, so I'm assuming Blaine is high in his own supply, selling at the boat party, but not really indulging in Max Rager. That's not his deal. Uh, he then gropes Liv, who then throws the Max Rager in his face, at which immediately turns him because it goes into his eyes. <laughs> so then he reaches out and scratches Liv. So it's almost like they each both started this whole zombie virus thing together. It's like the moment that, in the roof of the Sistine Chapel with the two fingers touching of like the beginning of my <laughs> Yes. Right. That's, that's uh, well, uh, um, I think I can't responsibly comment on this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, know, however, yeah. I will say that that is very thoughtful. I think that's a really interesting thought. <laughs> yeah. It just came from uh, rewatching the pilot uh, again like the, recently. The and, Supreme yeah. film examination of the scene. Exactly. Yeah, right. Uh, this is a stupid question, but I don't know. Maybe you'll humor me. What's up with all the drink mishaps in this episode? We had oh. Ra- Ravi spilling car- coffee all over and just doesn't clean it up. Yes, yeah, which I was wondering <laughs> is that a, is that a statement on his character at all? Or? Horrible slob. No, that's uh, I think more about the uh, nervous tension of the moment uh, than uh, yeah. um I. Uh, I, I, I actually I know what you're doing. There, there was a whole bunch of uh, like hot liquid yeah. problems in this episode, uh, and there's actually a, sort of a mundane answer to that, which is a couple of them are in the script, and a couple of them were actor choices. Uh, uh, and you know, and then suddenly you look at it, you're like, oh, well, suddenly we have nine moments about coffee in this episode. <laughs> yeah. That uh, also obviously there, it, it's a rich web of symbolism that's incredibly intentional and has lots of deeper meanings that you should spend lots of time thinking about. <laughs> Yes. All right. Well, our next bonus episode, right. we'll be talking about all the drink mishaps on this show. Even when they mention how, like, the homeless guy got away. Why? Oh, because coffee. the other guy was making coffee. Screwed up the coffee. <laughs> Screwed up the coffee. That's, uh, yes. That's, uh, um, well, I, uh, I tip my hat to you for uh, noticing uh, one of the weaker parts of my episode. <laughs> No, no, no! Don't, don't, don't admit it's weak. It's not weak at all. No, no, no! no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just teasing you. That's completely, uh, completely intense. But yeah, no, that's. Uh, I really wish. Uh, and when I noticed it, I actually started to think about like you know, I was I was an English major in college, and I just sort of my brain starts going to okay, how can I BS some really good reason why this makes a lot of sense? <laughs> how do we sort of present this? It's like what's the thesis statement for how the coffee is about the heat of the present moment that we are trying yeah. to tell? it? no, 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 no. Just, just a bunch of different people trying to be clever. That's uh, that's what happens. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, a listener uh, uh, sent in a message. He just what he was just wondering. Basically, uh, uh, Jeff was wondering if uh, you guys kept any sort of character bible, or maybe even if you have like a, a, a bible of like the mythology of the series to keep everything. Oh straight. God, I can't tell you how much time we spend making sure we keep everything straight, and I'm sure that we'll yeah. screw things up. But it is. Uh, it's hard. It's a it's a show with a ton of plot, uh, and yeah. uh, we have our wonderful assistants who have at various times uh, uh, John Bellina, who is the writers' room assistant, who often comes up with our chapter titles. He's got an amazing pun brain and got to write an episode mm-hmm. in this season that you'll get to see. He did a great job. Uh, yeah, yeah. First swing at the bat, and uh, and Phil Hoover also did some stuff too. Makes these wonderful little poster boards that have bullet points of the big things from each episode with printed out like uh, it, photos from it that sort of line the walls of the writer's room. 
and uh, then there, and we all sort of have our own like you know stuff on our computer and things like that that we'll bring up about who did what, knew what, when, who's this, that, and the other. And all that doesn't stop you from spending three hours talking about like an interesting major plot line before someone's like, wait, he's a zombie or, you know, like, then, like right. That's why we can't do that. That's uh, or things or he's not a zombie or she. That's why they can't do that. You know, it's 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 tricky to keep straight. And we work very hard to try to do it uh, to to keep those balls in the air. And it's certainly at the beginning of seasons. It's also a nice sort of we try to take some moments to reset okay, this is exactly what's happened and where everything is and how the incidents from last season have impacted that. There was actually a, a, a maddening picture that was released. It was a photo, uh, I think, before season two began of uh, Rose and I think uh, Buckley and, and Allie in the writer's room with y'all. And just the the walls are covered with index cards, but they're all so terribly out of focus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was zooming in trying to figure uh, it out, but it. nope. That is actually something that we uh, we get uh, warnings about whenever there's any reason to have photography in the writers' room, like if the cast is there yeah. or what have you. Uh, and it's that like stuff on the wall. You don't want to screw that up. Like that's that uh, you can yeah. give everything away. If it was like there in huge letters, that's like what we're going to do. Because I mean, if you could read those cards, it probably would give almost everything away. <laughs> I think there was something like on a, oh wait, there was also a whiteboard, I believe. And I, and I deciphered from the whiteboard, like stuff about father and the father coming and stuff. And I think there was maybe some scraps uh, material about, um, uh, Lib's father coming into the picture. So, right. oh, uh, that'd be interesting. That's a certain yeah, thing. yeah. Well, that was before season two. So, maybe, I'm, I'm assuming that's Saul scraps. Yeah, right. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's. Uh, but yes, there is uh, that. Is, you are right that uh, we will we will hopefully never let anybody be able to uh, cheat that way because we almost screwed <laughs> it up a couple times uh, and we have uh, learned our lesson. Right. <laughs> Um, do, do you want to tease anything about what's coming up in later episodes oh, at my all? My goodness. What can I, I should have thought about that beforehand. Uh, <laughs> I, I adore this season. I think this one is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, we, I think, uh, one of the, there was a big thought at the beginning about trying to put, because we have so many characters who have storylines that need servicing. Uh, there was sort of a mission statement at the top of the season to try to put them all, uh, it was about sort of like think about the trunk of the tree as opposed to a bunch of little twigs trying to get them all sort of like so people can be all the stories can be kind of related uh, mm -hmm. in a more immediate way that allows for different characters to interact on each other's storylines and not be so sort of siloed. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about the different ways that the characters sort of overlap and interact. And I uh, this this is sort of a lame teaser, I suppose. But I think <laughs> the end of this, the last couple episodes of this season, I think are just like it, it just builds to such fun. I think our finales have generally been really fun and that yeah. sort of delivered on that. Uh, uh, sort of the, what, what you, that's when we can really kind of let our, you know, zombie flag fly in past seasons, you know, cause often, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's just expensive. It's hard to do every week, you know, and it's, uh, hard to, mm -hmm. and I think we, uh, that the evolution of Fillmore Graves as what are they up to? Are they good or are they evil? What is good and evil? which is sort of reflected mm -hmm. in some of the Blaine stuff too, is I think a yeah. fun angle that we've got this season. And uh, I think a lot of our actors really rise to the occasion in a great way. I know that's probably, I, sh I, I feel like next time I do this, I'll come with a better tease already to go. But I, uh, I think it's really fun. I'm so glad and grateful that people are watching. It is such an unbelievable privilege to get to have this be my job. Uh, what a yeah, right? thing to get paid for. It's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. 
So Zombie Island by season finale and Major doesn't die. That's what I'm hearing here. That's, it, that's right. There you go. That's uh, oh no 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 quite the opposite. We're actually killing all of them. They'll all be dead. <laughs> but don't, just uh, just cut that part out. Don't let anyone hear that. No, yeah, they're already dead anyway. So. That's right. That's right. Oh, oh what, a, what a lovely full circle to go out on. I love it. Um, Robin, thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to uh, get the opportunity to talk about this with you and for all that you guess and stuff. Thank you very much for coming on to the show, Graham Norris. And uh, uh, do you have any more episodes this season? Um, I do not. It's, uh, I, oh. it's, uh, I had the great good fortune to be working on a pilot with Rob during uh, a lot oh. of this season. Uh, that is uh, that there is no other news about right now to share, aside from the fact that oh my goodness, how lucky I am to have a boss who lets me do things like that and uh, helps helps the the little birds fly from the nest. And uh, yes. meant that I was not as uh, available to work on. Uh, episode writing. There's, I mean, there's scenes in various episodes that I, you know, had a little hand in, and certainly all the ideas are all of us sitting in one yeah, room, sitting yeah. there drinking coffee and cursing ourselves <laughs> until we come up with something good. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Graham. Right. Really appreciate Absolutely it. Absolutely, my pleasure, Robin. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye, all. Bye, bye. Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Send your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for iZombie Podcast, all one word. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com. You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow Robin as well at El Robin Yero. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash Deanna Sheehan. Also, a friend of the show, Cheyenne, contributes with Photoshops on our Twitter. Follow her at iZombieLove. Check out our other podcast. You can listen to us binge cast through teen dramas like Dawson's Creek and Popular. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes. You can also listen to us occasionally talk about the Buffy spinoff Angel with our friends. Subscribe to Redemption Cast on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, why not leave us a review? We do this in our spare time so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated and helps us get seen by more iZombie fans. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're done. You think anyone is still listening? Probably not. Zombies! Zombies!